Welcome to the podcast Adelante Leadership. I'm proud to be your co-host, Peter Block Garcia. Welcome to Adelante Leadership. I'm your co-host, Tania Hino. Season two is a series of episodes that encourage and inspire you to embrace the power of your leadership. We are leaning into the knowledge from season one's previous incredible guests. Dr. Gloria Bonilla-Santiago is a Board of Governors Distinguished Service Professor at the Department of Public Policy and Administration and the Director of the Center for Strategic Urban Community Leadership at Rutgers University, Camden. She wrote one of the earliest books on Latine leadership, Breaking Ground and Barriers, Hispanic Women Developing Effective Leadership in 1992. She is also the founder of the successful charter school in Camden, New Jersey called Leadership Education Education and Partnership, also known as the Leap Academy. And in her book, The Miracle on Cooper Street, Lessons from the Inner City, she shares inspiring stories developing the Leap Academy and how to empower low-income youth with knowledge, values, and leadership. Dr. Bonilla Santiago, so good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us on Adelante Leadership. Bienvenida, Dr. Bonilla Santiago. Yeah, gracias, gracias. Dr. Bonilla Santiago, what is your story and about how you are and where you came from prior to writing your book, Breaking Ground, History of Women Development Effective Leadership? First, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. I was born in the island of Puerto Rico. My parents came here as migrant workers in the 1950s. Before I was born, so my mom would go back to the island to give birth to her children. And so I grew up as a, as a daughter of a migrant worker, um, probably the baby of four in the family. Mm-hmm. And my father was a crew leader. So he had a job where he had to take the family wherever he went. So we spent half a year in New Jersey, half a year in Florida. And so I know all those migrant seasons um, because of that. And But I was sort of the selective one in my family that my father said, you, you must go to college. You know, he believed strongly in education. And so he, you know, he certainly instilled in me the, the importance of education. Education will free me, he said, used to say. Mm-hmm. And he certainly was right. So that's really where I come from, from a very humble family. Family that, you know, in many ways, we have a very strong work ethic. My father never and my mother never went on public assistance. They always mm-hmm. believed that you had to work and earn your living and they taught us that. Mm-hmm. And so I come from a you know an incredible strong family, one that believes uh, certainly and also giving back. My father also had the opportunity to work with Cesar Chavez. You know, I grew up around Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta. Mm-hmm. So I know all those people since I was a child. And that gave me an opportunity also to understand the injustices of the world. So I grew up with a sense of justice, a sense of that I needed to do something about what was happening to migrant workers. That actually led me to my first book, Puerto Rican Migrant Workers, The New Jersey Experience, which really was my first book. That book actually got me tenure at Rutgers. It was this labor movement book where I really get to write about the successes and failures of migrant workers. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's really a little bit of... What led you to write the book, Breaking Ground and Barriers, Hispanic Women Developing Effective yeah. Leadership? Yeah, as I was doing work on research and migration, you know, I got, I already had a desire as a woman, Latina woman, you know, being the first woman in everything in my family, being the first young woman in my family to be in the front of the movement. You know, I understood that women made a big difference. And so I got really interested in gender inequality and what was happening to women around the world. But I was more interested in Latina women. I really thought that 
Latina women voices were not being recognized and I didn't see many women in academia still done. And so I thought that, you know, I needed to write the stories of great women, including Dolores Voltaes in my book. Uh, and that was sort of like a little project that I did. It was the beginning of my career. That book, it was more about me finding myself and other women voices. That's really why I wrote that book. I wanted to see what other women, Latina women were doing and how do I use my skill to put their word out there and the work that they were doing. And in many ways, they influenced me tremendously about where I wanted to go and pursue my career. So it was really more a testimonial to my own story. Mm. And phenomenal to, to be able to uh, find their stories and then also speak to their voices, you know, mm-hmm. as I was interviewing them. I found myself in the present, but also in the future. And Mm -hmm. that was a long time that I wrote that book. You know, it was in another stage of my life. And so it was so nice to see you guys go back and look at that work. Um, (laughs) 1987, right? um, Yes, yes. And that's the same year that actually I lost my husband. It was a very difficult year for me. But at the same time, you know, I have already written the book and has come Mm -hmm. out. It was a tough year, but in many ways, it's a great memoir. It's both breaking ground in the title, but it also I think you were breaking ground in writing it because as Tanya and I were starting this this work together, there's very few books about Latino leadership. And I think this one was particularly new and innovative at the time. And I wonder what sort of characteristics of leadership you drew from writing that book. Yeah. And I was basically, I was looking at what was happening in the country around women's and women leadership, but I felt that Latina women were not even breaking ground. And that's why I titled the book, Mm. you know, white women were talking about breaking ceilings, you know? (laughs) And uh-huh. I was, I was saying, like, why in the world we we want to break ceilings? We haven't even break ground yet. Uh-huh. We're not in the table, you know. Say like it's like they're saying, you know, we were in the menu, not in the table. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I needed to move from that menu to the table. And I said, we need to start talking about who we are. And so breaking barriers was for me, uh, breaking the ground. How do we break entry into Uh what we call the dominant world? Because, you know, we're still, we're in the periphery of society in many ways because our voices were not being heard. And there were beginning of groups, you know, like the Hispanic Leadership Institute, the Latina group from Denver, you know, who were trying to get us organize and talk about who we were. And I was part of that group, but the Hispanic Women mm-hmm. Leadership Institute. That also influenced me to see that there were other women like that. But I think in terms of what were the takeaways in terms of leadership characteristics, I will say that resiliency was a big characteristic that I walk away with. That is still thought to be mm-hmm. a Latina woman, you have to have resiliency because mm-hmm. you have to fight, fight against two worlds and you live in two worlds in this mm-hmm. in the United States, you know, in this country. So you, you have to fight against racism, you know, gender inequality, income inequality, sexual inequality. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, you know, you have that double edge sword. You know, you have to be great at everything and not fail. Cause the minute you make a mistake, you're mm-hmm. down, you go down, you know? Mm-hmm. And so so the demand for being excellent, which was another <laughs> Another characteristic about the leadership was that you have to be excellent at everything you do and you have to excel and you got to be savvy. You know, that word savviness, everybody was beginning to talk about savviness. So I felt, okay, savvy is something that we don't have. You know, white people and people with wealth are trained to be savvy, but Mm -hmm. 
you know, we go to school without even knowing what that world is, right? Mm-hmm. So learning those things early on from walking away from that book was really critical and having courage. I mean, some of these women, you know, courage was really important. Being the first one, breaking those doors down, you know, people, uh-huh. you know, Dolores Huerta were great. I you know, always remember her as an incredible woman who been through history and still to today you know mm-hmm. breaking doors yes <laughs> you know? yeah see that we went from breaking ground to breaking doors and you know uh, some of us have gotten sometimes to breaking ceilings you know when we make it uh to positions of leadership i like sotomayor who in my opinion have broke ceiling you know mm-hmm. and that's really important to be able to see those characteristics and then take it from there but i i think that there are so many others that we can characteristics that we can talk about having vision so many women latina women are, have done so many great things and and we just need to tell our story you know, whenever we have an opportunity you found that leap meaning leadership education and partnership chapter school that has helped a lot of BIPAP students and low-income students. You also wrote a book out of this experience. Can you tell us a little bit more about this book? Yeah, the latest book that I wrote, and it's really, you need to read it. And I would really recommend it as a book that would uncolonize Latinas. Mm-hmm. One of the themes that we wanted to talk about. That book is The Miracle on Cooper Street. And the reason that I titled that book The Miracle on Cooper Street, because Cooper Street is a street that I took that was totally packed with homeless and devastated in a city called Camden, which is the number one poor city in the country after Detroit. The reason I call it The Miracle was because the children from this city, Black and Latino kids, our kids were left behind. And the city was left behind after the 1970s, where you know, Campbell Soup and all the industries that were here left in the city. Mm-hmm. And so I came to the city because there was a university there. And I wanted to use a city as a lab for my research and work on children and families. And so I moved from women's research to children and families and education because I thought, dear Lord, somebody has to tell the story about what's happening to our Latino children in America. And, you know, Latino children are always in this garage, urban garage schools, public schools that are horrible. And so I began to tell the story about that. And the book is about the kids. It's actually Mm -hmm. first few chapters is about my life and how I made it to academia and how I got to use this project as a project that in many ways um, saved my life because, you know, I don't have children of my own, but I only have, you know, 6,000 kids, right? With (laughs) that I represent. And so the book is about them. And and they are the miracle because when I was writing the book, I did many focus groups Mm -hmm. with children to ask them, what should I title this book? Because I wanted to talk about my life experience and in, in doing this project, but also in academia and tell my story as to how to how I got to them. And they said, you need to call it a miracle because we are a miracle because no one believed in us, Dr. Sardiago, mm-hmm. but you did. And so, some of those kids now, I mean, have graduated, they're doctors, lawyers, some of them, any of them went to, I believe, schools like Princeton, Harvard. We have kids that have gone also to uh, University of Penn now, yes, it's an Ivy League Penn every year, I guess, two, three, four. But, and, and many have gone to Rutgers, which I'm very proud, which is the university that I work for. But if the book also is really special because I write about, you know, my husband used to work for Rutgers and then he died in an accident in 97. And so I actually created an endowment for those kids to go mm-hmm. to college as a result of his death. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, chapter eight is all about that, but it also is very inspirational. It tells my story about how to survive in academia. How to deal with racism? How did you deal with being in the periphery and being left out? 
mm-hmm. and rejected uh, because you know you you're not supposed to be in that sort of called elite academic world mm-hmm. as a Latina woman. So I, how I deal with that and how I handle it mm-hmm. with excellence and how I made it to a distinguished board of governors professor. You know, I talk about that. And so, but then I was going to the project and talk a little bit about the children and how I did this project that now is very successful. We have 100% of the kids have graduated, 100% have gone to college. Wow. We have, I'm upscaling the project in Puerto Rico. I'm opening three schools there, all in Paraguay. I have one in, in Brazil, one in Africa. So I, you know, we have going from local to global with this project. And so, you know, it's a community development effort. And that's really what that book was. You know, I need to upgrade the book now because I've done so much since I wrote the book in the, in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to just write, you know, to write. Um, you know, I want to write meaningful things and I want to touch people's life with my work. And so the important thing about that book and also the work I do with Leave is that it, it saves children, is is about saving them. And, and you know, we started a cradle to prison. That's really mm-hmm. what I found in the city of children that by the age of seven, eight, and nine were going into drugs and then into prison. And we shifted from cradle to prison to cradle to college. Wow. And that has been the biggest, if you were to ask me, probably the biggest accomplishment of my life have been to be able to do this project because we saved so many kids who today are just incredible people, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah fabulous to see how would they come back now you know all the things that have pharmacists doctors lawyers you know I even have a professor a psychologist who be, you know so yeah. we have you know it's great to see but I stayed with this project for 25 years that's one of the reasons I stayed at Rutgers I didn't want to leave the the project I wanted to be able to show that we could do it and that we can upscale it. Doctora did you have any of these books in Spanish? Uh, no, not in Spanish, you know, but they can be translated easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's something that we can do if there is a request or a demand right now. The Miracle on Cooper Street is owned by Amazon Bought the Rights because I actually sold out on that book. But it's a great book for women to read as a way to, what is it, uncolonize. And just touching a little bit more on your work with the school, what are some of the ways that you incorporated leadership learning with the students in the school? When I was looking at your school information that you're very clear about learning objectives of perseverance, resiliency, and love of learning. How did you do that? And what did you learn from teaching children and youth about leadership? Yes. And, you know, I've done much work on leadership before I even opened a school. I was, you know, doing leadership development seminars. I, you know, I, I invested a tremendous amount of time in, in my own development as a leader and looking at why it was so important for us to build leadership capacity for our community. So the school is just another part of that. And, and the children in the school and the curriculum and the way we design LEAP. LEAP was designed as a hub for economic and community development. And the school is sort of the vehicle to deliver that. So I felt that, you know, it had to be embedded in every little curriculum, every program that we did at the school, that it will be, leadership will be a characteristic, even in the title of the school, Leadership Education and Partnership. You know, we incorporated leadership characteristics everywhere. And we have it so that every child, the, actually the vision for the school is that every child will be a global citizen. That's really our vision, you know, very simple, that every child will be a global citizen. And, and to be a global citizen, you have to have leadership qualities, right? 
-hmm. And to go to college, you have to have leadership qualities. And you can be a leader from many angles, the leadership in the front, behind the scenes, you know, an introvert, an extrovert, but you can still be a leader and have the ability to change the world. And so we embedded leadership. It's interconnected. It's in the design. It's in the culture and the climate of the school. It's in, you know, right now the leader of the school is one of our graduates. Mm -hmm. which is phenomenal who was there since she was a kinder she's only 30 years old but she's phenomenal she's the mm -hmm. chief of academics you know Josia Molina an incredible young woman from the city of Camden who come from that community yeah. but when the kids see that they know they can do it and so we need to have so many Latina leaders and so you know that's how I bring this issue of, and then bring, bringing capacity from within building mm -hmm. capacity from within the organization so that you know, you give an opportunity for others to lead early on in long wait is really critical. And so that's why it's so important that we can create our own institution, our own wealth as Latinos. We need to take, we need to be the architects of our own mm -hmm. future so we can redefine our history and retell our history correctly. Because as you know, our history has been distorted so many times. So I believe that, you know, my work with the children is about that. It's about ensuring that we build capacity for our community so we can have better leaders everywhere. And, and the focus on STEM was because Latinos are not in the areas of STEM, can't mm -hmm. find graduates in those areas. So I wanted to meet that gap. And that's what mm -hmm. we're doing. Since the majority of the students are Latine and African-American, how do you, what do you think the legacy of colonization has impacted their leadership journey? And how do you help them or your school helps them overcome colonization mindset? As you know, many of our communities that come to the United States usually come from colonized worlds, mm -hmm. particularly in America, Africa, um, the Caribbean, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, which is really where I get a lot of the children from in both, both our colonies, right? Mm -hmm. And um, But in the word colonization is embedded in as a result of our history. And so one way to begin to decolonize our community is to begin to teach them how to read and write, teach them how to be the best they can be so that they can love themselves, but at the same time, believe in themselves and then build their self-esteem so that they can begin to believe that they can be the leaders of tomorrow. One of the worst things that happened of being colonized is that you believe that you have to be dependent, that you have to be complacent, that you can just give up. You don't believe in anything else because someone else is in charge and someone else is going to take care of you, which is totally the worst way of thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to, trying to train our communities, particularly families and children, is to say to them, look, no one is going to take care of you. And so the sooner you get that, this is, this is my message to the children and to all the families that I work with, is as soon as you understand that, the better you're going to be. Mm -hmm. So the best thing is, you know, you can't settle for a C, you got to <laughs> settle for an A. And settling for excellence means that you don't tolerate anybody who puts you down, that you know that power is information and that with that kind of information, you can transform the world and you can be the leaders of tomorrow. And so how, that's how you break from colonization, right? It's transforming yourself, not only taking care of your own health, but also giving yourself knowledge and information. To me, that's the most powerful thing you can have because titles without information, titles and positions without understanding your history, understanding how to transform and change communities without understanding the oppression of colonization of our communities doesn't mean a thing because then you'll become part of the problem. 
And so that's one thing we do. We, we do it through teaching our children their, their own history, but also building a lot of in the curriculum about how important competencies of leadership, believing in yourself, respect, self-reliance, mm-hmm. self-directive learners. People need to be in our community, self-directive learners. We can't wait for nobody to give us the information. Let's try to learn as we go on. We all going to be learning always, you know, so building that kind of community development efforts where we become in charge of our own neighborhoods, our own community, our own wealth, learning how to create wealth so that we don't have to be dependent you know, so one of the things that I learned is to create, for example, endowments here at the university for mm-hmm. the children to go to college so that they could go. Mm-hmm. But their responsibility with that endowment is that now that, you know, they will have to do the same, right? Mm-hmm. When they graduate and they go back to the communities, they have to do the same. It has to be a chain of supporting mm-hmm. one another and lifting one another. Mm-hmm. That we don't become part of the colonization or continue to colonize people. Because mm-hmm. part of the reason why we still colonize in some of these places is because we have our own people with the politics of colonization in mm-hmm. power. I want to follow up on something else you just mentioned in your explanation about colonization, which you mentioned health, that health is something that is really important. In particular around health is the impact of trauma on many of our families in our community. And how do you help address the trauma? Because it's so integrated and in, in, in oh. a, a part of economics and the colonization and everything, right? What have you done uh, or learned about helping people with their health and particularly our children and youth? One of the things that I did when I decided to create this LEAP Hub was to create an ecological model, an ecological model that will have a health and wellness component. And part of why I did that was because research suggests that most children that come from poverty, and many of them are usually traumatized, traumatized from poverty, traumatized from abuse, physical, sexual, verbal, and uh, or from losses. You know, every week, almost every day in, my, in our schools, a child loses somebody from a shooting or, or a suicide or a problem that happened in the neighborhood. So all of that causes trauma. So I will say our communities are traumatized. And never mind those of us that go through losses that, you know, you go through a trauma when you lose somebody. But like Margaret Mead talked about this concept called SARA, right? So when you traumatize, you go through S. S stands for shock. You're in shock, right? That's the first step. And then you go through a process of anger, which Mm -hmm. is the letter A, SARA, no? A. Mm-hmm. And then you go through a process of rejection. You reject reality. You say, this is not happening to me. How can mm-hmm. it be? And then finally, through through therapy or through self-reliance or through working out or doing whatever it is, or working in the garden, or or you know, all of us have different ways to heal. We actually accept that you know what, it's okay. We're gonna be okay. We can we can go on. Um, but the most important thing is to realize that. You know, we can get help when we get go through these traumas. And so I always remember Margaret Mead's concept of how to get out of, of, a, of a trauma, which is to go through the Sarah process, right? Mm-hmm. And I've seen people go through that Sarah process all the time when they're traumatized, particularly even children and families. But certainly, you know, the idea that one has to be able to, you know, have a health and wellness place where you can not only work out, but also eat right. Learn that you can take care of yourself and that your soul needs to be fed Mm -hmm. and that you have to find 
meaning in life, right? Because part of getting out of a trauma is understanding that you have a role in society that is not just about you. You can give back. In giving back, you're going to get so much as a reward. And so that part of the healing process happens as you, you know, as you transform yourself because you all to get out of a trauma, you have to go to a transformation. So we, you know, we seen children who were traumatized become the best people as a result of, you know, having an experience of health and wellness, participating in seminars, workshops, exercises, and working sometimes with a therapist. And many times we don't have the money to go to therapy. How many Latino poor people, you know, go to mm-hmm. therapy? I don't know any. I can tell you that. So I always love when, you know, white people say, well, you know, who goes to therapy, right? And I said, well, our people cannot afford to go to therapy. So we have to find ways for our people to have health and wellness centers where we can talk to them about that. And that is okay. You can get out of a trauma. You know, you can get out by talking about it, by finding a member of your family, or you don't have to go to a specialist. Just to be heard is Mm. part of healing. Mm. Just to talk about it is part of healing. And then you can move on as you become to find yourself, find things. So I will say that it's okay if people feel that, you know, they have been traumatized. I think that being traumatized is part of being poor and being growing up in America. It's okay. I said, well, who hasn't been traumatized? Come on, you know, I've been traumatized. You know, losing my husband was a trauma for me. And I remember that being in the Bali. I remember being right there where I knew that I needed to do something. And what saved me was, you know, my work. Going mm. back to work and saying, you know what? You either cry and die out here or you go back to work and get it together. And you know what? It's going to be a day at a time. And then, you know, I knew my work in many ways saved my soul from, you know, the pain that I was going through. And what happens is, you know, your soul heals and the memories always stay, always stay. But the pain goes away. And that's what people in trauma should know. The mm. pain does go away if you just work on yourself. Is that helpful? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Now, Doctora, you're a distinguished professor at the Center of Strategy and Urban Community. I'm a, a distinguished board professor at Rutgers. Part of being a professor there, I direct this center that I created to put all my mm. work called the Center mm. for Community Leadership. Yes. Tell us a little bit, how do the, the center helps you encourage and develop leadership? Yeah, I created that center in the mm-hmm. 1990s once I got tenure at the university because I mm-hmm. knew I didn't want to work for anybody. In a mm-hmm. university, when you become tenure, you got to, you know, you work for the university, but you sort of on your own now mm-hmm. to build your research on your work. And I wanted to create a place within the university where I can really open space for my work in the community. You know, if the very elitist university. And so community was not value there. And so I needed to create a center within the university that would allow me to create research programs to bring community there and mm-hmm. bring the university to the community. And so I began to create a center to create access and then position the university as an anchor for mm. community change. Because I said the university has a responsibility to be part of the community. And so mm-hmm. to be a great university without connecting to community is, is meaningless. I mean, we, we have it in our mission statement that we empower communities. <laughs> that we, I mean, you read the mission statements of the university and you say, wait a minute. Well, if we say that we empower community, if we say that we want to do civic engagement, then we got to be engaged with community. So I was the first one to confront the university about that. And, and I said, I'm creating a center 
And I need you to approve it because I'm going to bring, I'm going to make those words. I'm going to give it life. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I did. And so the center has helped me and Rutgers has helped me tremendously. Not only I helped the university because I spoke the language and I aligned my career with the university mission. Whatever the university said they were going to do, I said, well, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it for you, but I'm bringing my people with me. It's not just me. And mm-hmm. then I created access and I opened that access to community in many Latinos. Today, we, Rutgers Camden is a destined place for minority students. I mean, you know, we have more minority students than ever. But when I started, we we were, we have 1%, the whole university have one less, one the less, 1% Latino, if that. We're going a long way, but that's what you can do when you stay in an in institution and, and with a clear vision about creating change and then building capacity for community. Doctor, what else would you like to share with the listeners that we haven't asked you about regarding Latin leadership or healing or decolonization? Well, I think that one of the things that I can share is provide some advice for Latinos and Latina leaders is about how do we create more capacity for the change that is needed, given that you know, we're living in very difficult times during this pandemic, you know, has reminded us that we need all to be connected and that, you know, more than ever, you know, we've always been about family in the Latino community, but it's important that we continue to break ground in places that we haven't entered. You know, there's so many places we can, we can be at, but we haven't been able to break ground in areas of sciences and not only physical, but medical sciences. We need to figure out ways to create more access for Latinos to enter into into those positions. So, you know, encouraging more Latinos to not just go into the traditional means. The other one is independent wealth. Mm. You know, we need to figure out ways to support communities to create more independent wealth so that they can build that wealth through either endowments, We've seen generations and generations of communities who have not worked. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, I get those children, for example, who tell me my parents never worked. Mm -hmm. I said, really? What do you mean? Well, you know, they've been on welfare, the mother, the grandmother, the great grandmother. Mm -hmm. And so now it's going to, they're going to be the first one in that family to work. Think about this, you know? And so we, we don't we don't understand the realities of our communities and how they survive. There's an underworld, underground economy. In the neighborhoods, in our communities, whether it's in LA, whether it's in, in the East or in our countries. And those people are surviving, but it's still, we need to figure out how to close those gaps because the mm-hmm. achievement gap is so, so big. And so I think that, you know, one way to do it is through education. And another one is through figuring it out early on how to invest, buy property, you know, become owners of your own future. Those kinds of strategies, I think, are really important. What books do you recommend to our listeners to help our Latin community to heal and decolonize their own minds? Yeah, there's a great book that I read. It's called Uncolonized Latinas, Transforming Our Mindset and Rising Together. It's a great book that talks about transforming mindsets, right? Which is something I spoke about earlier and how in order for us to, to break that ground, there has to be a transformation process. And she talks about that. And then I recommend my own book, The Miracle. Mm-hmm. I like that one because it's not an academic book. It's storytelling. 
And it's a real story of my life and how I made a difference. But it's also very inspiring when you read it because it talks about love, pain, but also tragedy, but then success, you know, it's, it has it all. En, la, en español suena mejor, El Milagro de la Calle Cooper. Como algo bien powerful. When you say it in Spanish, el milagro de la calle Cooper. But it really is un milagro, right? And I think that it's important because I am a milagro. We all women who have been in traumas, who have survived traumas, who have made it. We are a miracle, a miracle from the work, from, you know, from the celestial world. So I think that that's really important if you can read that one. Another one that I love is uh, by Cristina Gutierrez. It's called Ayane Diosa that if you can find it as well. There is a book for something else that I'm doing. It's called Leadership Accelerating Through the Crisis Curve by Gary Bernison. He's the CEO of Corn Ferry. Very small little book, but I recommend it because it's about leadership, but it's also about what we need to be doing moving forward in this crisis that we're confronting in today's society. And it speaks about how do we need to anticipate, navigate, communicate, listen, learn, and lead. Mm -hmm. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. And I love Gary uh, Bernison's work. He, he writes for the regular audience. Dr. Bonilla Santiago, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story and sharing your knowledge and wisdom and experience with everyone. Muchas gracias. Thank you so much to you all for listening to me and look forward to, to many having many discussions with you and to listening to your programs. I hope you were inspired by this episode with Dr. Gloria Bonilla Santiago. Join us for more inspiration with Milvia Pacheco, artist, performer, community leader, and executive director of Movimiento Afro-Latino Seattle. We welcome your comments on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Apple. For more resources and information, visit our website, www.adelanteleadership.com. We want to hear your thoughts, ideas, and your Latin leadership story. Muchas gracias por escuchar a Adelante Leadership. Thank you for tuning in and stepping into your Latin leadership.